Hello and welcome guys back to another great episode of The Cold Hard Truth. I am here, Santino Mayoni, as always, with Jacob Jarrett. He is back from his vacation, went to a Red Sox-Yanks game this weekend. We are here to discuss all the breaking topics, all the big stories in sports going on right now. Jacob, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, very, very happy to be back on our wonderful show here. I'm happy because we have some great topics in different sports yeah. And I'm also happy because despite the last three days, the Yankees are in first place. So those 100%. Only team in the league with 60 wins. They are by far the best team in baseball. But we're going to start with the NBA. Now, a player that you kind of heard is in rumors to go to the New York Knicks, Donovan Mitchell. Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, he had reported that the Jazz had shut down any interest, any inquiries in trading Donovan Mitchell. But in the last few that are now kind of you know open to hearing trade requests from other teams. They're open to moving Donovan Mitchell essentially. So, in your opinion, should the Jazz after trading Rudy Gobert now trade Donovan Mitchell? And if they do trade him, where do you think he will end up? Well, first off, I'll say this: I think that the you know the confu the confusion and the go going back and forth between whether they're going to ship him and whether they're not probably has to do with the fact that they're sitting back and they're saying with these two guys that we've had for all these years and you know been so prone to losing in the first or second round of the playoffs will that really change and they probably are starting to come to the decision with the fact that they are most likely going to move on from them that they're just genuinely not good enough with those two to contend for championships despite the fact that they're going to make the playoffs every year so I think that more than anything, they're probably, you know, it, I think it's one or the other. I think it's an A or an F. I think they stick with it or they just ship them off. Certainly looks like they're going to go um, and rebuild. Uh, in terms of where I can see Mitchell most, I mean, the New York move makes so much sense for a few reasons. In terms of personal, uh, you know, the personal aspect of it, he is a hometown New York kid. And I think that he's one of the few stars in the league that would probably embrace the challenge of coming to a team like the Knicks. And the other reason why it makes so much sense is because they have the young assets and ability to give a package that really makes more sense than what most teams can give. Because almost their entire roster is under the age of 25 and 26, mm -hmm. which is the type of guys that you would have to give and get involved in the trade to even pull off the trade in the first place. Because why yep. would you trade Mitchell for anything else? Exactly. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the Knicks are usually a little too reluctant to pull off these type of deals. But personally, I think that except for R.J. Barrett, absolutely anybody should be on the table. In fact, I think that they should be able to pick any two players of their choosing on the roster besides R.J. Barrett. I, I would even give a Randall, and a quick Really, I would. Wow. Would you give up Mitchell Robinson as well as a Knicks fan? Would you be okay with getting rid of him? Well, I like Mitch a lot. I think that Mitch, like, I was seeing some statistics yesterday about him, and he really has been, I think his potential is through the roof. Um, you know, his athletic ability is off the charts. Uh, offensively, he's really good. Uh, and he's a great rebounder, too. But it all really depends on Gobert because they won't want him if they're going to hold on to Gobert. But if they're going to be getting rid of Mitchell, you have to assume they're also going to get rid of Gobert. Well, Gobert was already traded. Gobert was already moved. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah, he went to, he went to Minnesota. Yeah, but even still, the fact that they've already moved 
The fact they've already moved Gobert, I think, makes it more likely they're going to get rid of Mitchell because the whole question going into the offseason that I had was, okay, who are they going to pick between? Which one are they going to get rid of first? Or are they only going to get rid of one? That whole kind of thing. But now that Gobert's gone and with the way that it's looking is the fact they were shutting down all these trade options earlier in the offseason and now they're kind of reopening themselves back up to it, I would have to lean towards probably trading Donovan Mitchell. Listen, the Knicks are a good option. I do think that it might be hard to get, not not difficult to get a trade package together, but there might be other teams willing to ship out more than the Knicks are offering. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I haven't really heard any reports from guys like Brian Windhorst or any NBA insiders as to what teams are really offering a major package to get him. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how this, you know, discussion develops and see what teams offer these large packages to get him because Gobert got traded for a haul from the Timberwolves. So I'm curious to see what they'll get moved for, but it's a very interesting discussion. I do think, though, the Jazz, even if they don't get rid of Mitchell, they're going to be heading for a rebuild in the next probably three years. But yeah, so I think we definitely both agree that this this, this is a likely scenario. The Jazz do move on from Mitchell, and as a team who hasn't had any playoff success really at all in their in the tenure with these two guys, it's about time they move on and try to figure out something new for the team. But we'll move on to something else that happened during the Summer League. LeBron James and Russell Westbrook, and we know Russell Westbrook has been in trade talks with Kyrie Irving and this whole drama about him not fitting with the Lakers and all that stuff. LeBron and Russell Westbrook were at the same summer league game in Las Vegas, and they did not sit with each other. Not only did they not did they not sit with each other, they did not interact with each other. They didn't say a word to each other. They didn't even they didn't even look at each other. I'm curious your thoughts though. With all the rumors going around of Westbrook possibly getting moved for Kyrie, Darvin Ham coming out and saying, oh, Westbrook's going to have this new role in the offense, set more screens, shoot more corner threes, all that kind of stuff. Do you make a big deal out of LeBron and Westbrook not speaking, not interacting, or do you think it really doesn't matter? Well, I think it's the type of thing that you're dealing with two guys that are, you know, specifically more mentally involved, I think, in the game than most players. And I think based on what happened last year and what a dumpster fire the Lakers were, there would be a lot of reason to believe that there would be tension between them specifically. Um, Obviously a locker room overall probably won't react well to a year like that. But like I said, Westbrook specifically, even more than LeBron, is just such a mentally aware and affected person that I think that something like a new role and something like that would be almost insulting to him, along with the Kyrie rumors and things like that. Another thing is, I know that obviously, you know, LeBron, whatever you want to say, led GM or whatever people say, you know, and bringing, you know, Westbrook over to LA last year. I mean, the reason why it was so hard for me to believe and why I, I was pretty sure that it wouldn't work as well as some may have thought is, you can't have two guys that ball dominant on the same team. Of course, it's happened before, but not with guys like a Westbrook because a guy like a Westbrook has to have the ball for 35 minutes a game. That's how he's been his whole career. You know, he's not the most efficient player. So it just clearly wasn't the best idea. It didn't work out. And I think that the best thing for the Los Angeles Lakers would be not to have him on the roster next year. So do you think that them not speaking could be an indication as to where this is heading, that Westbrook will eventually get moved for a Kyrie or for whatever trade package they end up get, you know, getting offered possibly? I don't think it's a guarantee by any means. 
and I don't know if, you know, all minds are necessarily made up. I think more than anything, I just don't think that the two of them, after everything that transpired, are likely to be in the best, you know, form right now as two two people. Um, yeah, I, I could see a scenario where, you know, they, you know, decide to run it back and prove everyone wrong. I don't think it's out of the question, but I would say that there's a, a better than 50% chance that they change things up. Yeah, because and part of where my head was at with with this whole situation was that you think about it, and Darvin again, how Darvin Ham has been speaking about Westbrook wanting to incorporate him into a new role, get him more involved in the offense, be a better team player, all that, all those sort of things. Where my head is going with this is the way that the Lakers and LeBron, because LeBron kind of is already kind of established that he wants Kyrie, he would love to have him in LA, essentially saying that he would want Westbrook out the door. Let's live in a world where the Kyrie trade does not fall through and the Lakers have to keep Russell Westbrook. If this relationship, you know, if anything is indicative of what happened at the Summer League and this relationship really isn't going to be in the best place going into next season, they need to figure out a way to ensure that Westbrook's relationship with the front office, the coach, the team, LeBron, everything is squared away if they do in fact have to keep him. Because if they go into next season with a disgruntled Russell Westbrook, somebody who's not having a great relationship with the best player on the team, the leader in LeBron James, that just that's going to spell disaster in the locker room, disaster on the court. They could have an even worse season than uh, a worse season going into this upcoming year than they did last year. So, they need to be careful how they handle this whole Russell Westbrook situation because with him being in all of these trade rumors, you don't want to offend him because we know how players can get nowadays. They have they have their own personas, they're divas, they can act a certain way. You want to make sure and really try not to offend him and try not to piss him off in any way because that really could lead to more internal issues and locker room problems, not just issues on the court, if that makes sense. I think it definitely makes sense, but I don't think that an organization should have to cater to somebody like that, especially somebody that's not really, frankly, in my opinion, good enough to be, you know, absolutely, you know, where you're fluctuating your your actions and your beings and your ways. I mean, I don't I don't I don't I obviously think he's a great player and I you know, I think there's a good chance that he, you know, at the end of his career you could say that he put together a Hall of Fame career, but after last season, I mean, I don't you can't make decisions for him, you know. You got to let things go the way that they're going to go. If they don't get a suitable deal and the best thing is to keep them, then, you know, he's got to play on your terms, at least to a certain point. Uh, who makes the, you know, who makes him able to do that? I'm not sure. He has a lot of trouble respecting people and understanding that he's not, you know, the number one all the time. And but not the player he used to be, honestly, because he's not the same as he was, you know, five, five no. ten years ago. Definitely not. Yeah, so I, I, think, I, I think at this point, again, I, I get where you're coming from. With the, I don't even disagree with you with your point about it's not the front office's job to, you know, again, cater to his feelings and make sure that they go about the trade scenario in the right way while also catering to him. But at the same time, if you are stuck with Westbrook, you do need to try to ensure that the relationships are not just fractured and broken because you're going to go into a season where you're likely going to be worse than you were last year because last year LeBron wanted Westbrook. Their relationship was great. They were working out in the offseason. We're not seeing any of that anymore. LeBron doesn't want anything to do with Westbrook, it appears, from the way that stuff is going in the offseason. 
if you go in with a fragmented, you know, uh, locker room and fragmented superstars, that's going to be even worse than it was last season, which I can't even fathom, but it probably will happen if this is what the situation, you know, yeah. if it continues to trend down this road. You're right. It's, it's really interesting with LeBron because, you know, in a lot of ways, um, going it's year 19 now right? i believe i think it might be going into 20 i think 19 or 20 whatever it is in many 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 ways you know he doesn't have anything left to prove but in many many ways he has a lot to prove only because he wants to be considered the greatest to ever live and in my opinion i'm not saying he needs another championship necessarily because there's a lot of teams now but obviously he can't afford to have another season like last year and I think that, as a team, obviously, he was great. But he can't afford to miss the playoffs. So I think that in a lot of ways, his, you know, unfaithfulness, perhaps, to Westbrook and, you know, dismay, perhaps, even, if it's that bad, is because he's thinking to himself, I can't let this guy F things up for me again, you know? No, definitely. And, I, again, it's going to be interesting to see because we've been I've been hearing so many reports from NBA insiders, and all this information I'm giving is just from those guys who are insiders. Obviously, we don't have that kind of ability to get that information from guys within the league, you know, GMs, all those different circles. But from what I've been hearing, the likelihood is Kyrie, if he's not traded to the Lakers, which is the only team that would look to trade for him right now, Westbrook would be included in that deal, and if that deal doesn't go forward, the likelihood is Kyrie ends up back in Brooklyn, Westbrook ends up back in L.A., so we'll see how that kind of folds or unfolds going forward into the offseason. But we're going to move on to the NFL. Now, the reporter Jeremy Fowler, he came out and he conducted his NFL surveys where he went to over 100 NFL execs, coaches, scouts, and fellow players, and he conducted a survey where he said to all these people, give me your top 10 for each position in the NFL. And he started with quarterbacks, then he did running backs, and then he did wide receivers. So we're going to look at the quarterback list first. And I want to ask you, based on this list, I'm going to give you the list of the survey that was given, and then we'll go from there, and you can, um, you'll be able to give me your opinion on what you think is accurate, and then we're going to go through our own list that we think should be the top 10 quarterbacks. So the NFL survey list consisted of number 10, Dak Prescott, Number nine, it was Deshaun Watson. Number eight, it was Russell Wilson. Number seven, it was Justin Herbert. Number six, I believe it was um, Joe Burrow, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, six was, uh, no, sorry, six was Matthew Stafford. Five was Joe Burrow. Four, Tom Brady. Three was Josh Allen. Two was Mahomes. And at one, they had Aaron Rodgers. So give me your reactions to that list initially, not our list, but the list from the NFL survey. Well, I personally, I actually like the top of the list better than I like the bottom of the list. I had some guys on mine that didn't, well, maybe one or two, um, that didn't get in their top ten at all. Um, another thing was, based on everything going on, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think we should be ranking Deshaun Watson right now. I don't think so either. I didn't even have him. Yeah, so, the, I mean, talent out the window, I like. we don't know. It's too many question marks. So he's, I had Obviously, when he plays, he's top 10, but, you know, we don't know. So, that's one thing. I didn't have him on mine. And then um, another thing that stood out to me, you know, specifically I mentioned one guy, is I, I don't know how they could put a Dak Prescott over a Lamar Jackson. That confused Neither me. Neither do I. Neither do I. That, that was probably the most confusing thing for me because when Lamar was playing last year, he was absolutely fantastic um, before getting hurt. Um and 
you know, Dak. Symmetric whole team was injured too. Keep that in mind also. He had like no right, team right. around him. Right. So, yeah, like I said, the bottom of the list was a little more um, hazy in terms of what I believe. I personally think the top of the list was pretty good. Um, you could maybe nitpick and change, you know, whatever. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, certainly back-to-back MVPs, has to be first. Um, and I don't think anyone else, I don't think anyone would say Mahomes doesn't slot in right after, you know, by a, by an inch. So uh, I, I didn't think the list was bad, but I, have, I, I had some differences in mind. Yeah, we're going to go through our list right now. So I'm going to give – I'll start off with number 10. I kept Dak Prescott at number 10. I think it's fair to keep him on the list. He's been one of the most consistent quarterbacks stat-wise when he's healthy, and I think that he does have an underrated dual-threat ability to use his legs and his arm talent is there. So I'd put him right at number 10. I debated between putting him and Kyler at 10. I left Kyler Murray off my list, but I had Dak Prescott at 10. Kyler just missed my top 10. So that was my exact debate. And I edged Kyler just barely, but I, I think it's so close between the two. Um, I think the two were in pretty similar situations. Um, their teams had very you know similar seasons last year when you really look at it. Um, but I gave Kyler the edge just 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 by a midge. The reason I didn't put Kyler in my top 10, and I'll say this, and I'm not saying this is all his fault because the head coach Cliff Kingsbury has a lot to do with this, but he does not win late in the season. You see him perform. Astronom- astronomical levels in the beginning of the season. He plays great. Towards the end of the season, he always kind of dips down, especially with his stats. And also, his lack of leadership is abysmal. Dak Prescott is a much better leader. He's a vocal leader. He His body language is just better than Kyler Murray. Seeing the way Kyler sat on the sideline in that Rams playoff loss, not hyping up his guys, not getting, not rallying around them and saying, hey, we got this, come on, Like I know we're down, but we got to keep playing, whatever. I just think that edges him a little bit below the top 10 right outside. He's still phenomenal talent, has great arm great arm strength, great accuracy. Besides Lamar Jackson, he's probably the second or third best running quarterback in the NFL. So he's super talented, uber talented, but I put him right at number 11. So we differ there. Um, number nine, I obviously knocked out Deshaun Watson. I had Lamar Jackson at number nine. Um, he definitely has to be in the top 10. I feel like some might think I put him a little bit too low, but I do think that because of his lack of accuracy uh, passing the football, that has to be what knocks him down, just not into the top eight. But he's definitely top 10. He was an NFL MVP. He's honestly, people compare him to Michael Vick and all these other guys. There has never been somebody like Lamar Jackson with the way he plays, how electrifying he is, his ability to not take a lot of big hits with how much that he runs. Lamar is definitely top 10. It was absurd. The NFL, not even that like analysts didn't put him top 10. Again, this is based off execs, coaches, players, and scouts, and none of them had him top 10. That baffles me. I'm shocked that out of all those surveys, it ended up coming out that Lamar was not top 10. That's crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I had him just a bit higher. I had Russell Wilson at nine. Um, you know, you mentioned Kyler in terms of uh, first half of the season, second half of the season, and Wilson's been much of the same as of late. Uh, you know, it's a common joke that he's an MVP for the first eight weeks and then a nobody for the last eight. Uh, so it's been that way. So he's got to stay top ten. Um, he's been a you know perennial Pro Bowl level quarterback. Um, going to Denver is going to be really, really interesting. I've always really liked the Denver Broncos. They're my second favorite team. Uh, I think, you know, things will work out nicely there. Uh, obviously, they're playing in the best division in football, indisputably. So they're going to have six really tough games. But whenever they play other teams, look for them to win games, I think. 
Um, and I, I think he'll have a pretty good year this year, and he'll be on a – you know, it's interesting because on the Seahawks, you know, he had the duo of Lockett and Metcalf, which is obviously a really good duo. But now the Broncos seem to just have a bit of a better all-around roster, so we'll see how much that means in terms of how many games he could win for that team. Um, but I, I think nine's a reasonable rating for him. Yeah, I had him one spot higher. I put him at number eight. Um, again, splitting hairs. I kept Lamar a little bit lower. Russell Wilson, despite I know his, you, everything you said was 100% right. We were talking about this when we did our show at school last year. In the first half of the season, he was he was an MVP candidate. He had some of the best stats of any quarterback in the league. And then in the second half, he totally just kind of shit the bed and didn't really do anything. So my whole mindset of putting Russell at eight is because of how long he's been in the league, how consistent he's been. He has one of the most, he probably, if not if not the, one of the most accurate and best th- deep balls in the game. He can, and that's partly because he had Lockett and Metcalf in Seattle, but through the, through the years of having Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Curse, all these different receivers, I know I'm going back like, you know, five or six years, but he's been one of the most consistent quarterbacks in the league. I feel like he was supposed to be the next iteration of top quarterbacks, and he was kind of skipped over after Rodgers and Brady. He was supposed to be the next kind of like quarterback that came in, and then we had Herbert, and we had Lamar, and we had Mahomes, and we had you know Josh Allen, now we have Burrow. They kind of all leapfrogged him in terms of guys that we think are the best quarterbacks in the league. I think he still should be eight. Um, again, him and Lamar splitting hairs. He also is a great dual-threat quarterback as well, knows when to use his legs, can extend plays in the pocket. So I had Russell at eight. But again, still top ten, just splitting hairs. But who was your number? Yeah, so I just had you flip-flop once again. So I had Lamar at eight. I mean, it, it, it is really close between the two. Um, you know, I, I think Lamar and the Ravens this year are going to have a, a real year to prove based on the injuries they've had because I think that, They'll feel like, you know, after sitting at home watching the Bengals last year, you know, make the run that they made and just knowing that it probably, you know, they could have been around the same boat if they didn't deal with the injuries that they dealt with. I think they'll come out and have a really, really good season with Lamar at the helm. I think he'll be right back up in the conversations that he was in a few years ago because, you know, I've disrespected Lamar Jackson a lot compared to a lot of people. And, you know, obviously I still, you know, have my – you know, I'm still reasonable with where I put him because, you know, I'm not I'm not going to have him go any higher than eight. But I think I can see him having a better year than the two previous than that who we had here. The one thing I want to say about Lamar Jackson before I give my number seven is that people a lot of times, from what I've noticed, they kind of move the needle whenever arguing about where they rank him. Because at first, after he won his MVP, which again, Josh Allen hasn't won an MVP yet. Pretty much everyone on this list besides Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, that's it. Besides those three... Lamar's the only one on this top 10 list that we have, at least. People always want to move the needle. First, it was, okay, you win your MVP. Then it was like, oh, you have to win a playoff game now. Then he wins a playoff game. It was like, all right, we're not going to give you uh, respect till you win a Super Bowl. Josh Allen hasn't won a Super Bowl. Neither has Herbert or Burrow. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like... They don't want to give him credit. Every time he does something, they move the needle. And we don't see that with Mahomes. We don't see it with Josh Allen. I'm not saying Lamar is as good as those two because he's not. But I just want to make the point and kind of put it out there that we need to stop doing this where we move the needle and make adjustments based on what he does because because he's not prototypical. I feel like a lot of people, because he's you know we joke, oh, he's a running back, he's not, a, he's not an actual quarterback. Just because you may not like the way he plays or it's not normal or it's not what you're used to seeing in the prototypical quarterback, like if you grew up in a different era with guys like Brady and Big Ben and Eli and Peyton, that kind of thing, 
this is what the quarterback is kind of shifting over. The, the position is like shifting to this kind of dynamic dual threat player. So we need to give him his respect. Stop knocking the guy. He has been a Pro Bowler multiple years. In that season with the Ravens when he won MVP, I believe they went what, they went 15 and one, 14 and two. He had a phenomenal season. So many highlight plays. He was he was incredible. Don't don't disrespect the guy anymore. Give him his credit. Yes, he needs to succeed in the playoffs, but we have to also acknowledge. Has he had a top wide receiver? Not by a long shot. The best weapon he's had is Mark Andrews. They need to give him more talent before they can expect him to do things like Mahomes and Allen have done when they have guys like Diggs and Tyree Kill. We got to understand that as well. Moving on to number seven, I had Matthew Stafford. I bumped him down from six to seven. I do think that after winning the Super Bowl, he obviously should be in the top ten. I think we finally got to see that after a quarterback who was on a poverty, terrible Lions team for pretty much his entire career, when he got on a good team with a good coach and a good receiving core, he finally was able to do some things. And people would always say, well, oh, he, he's never in the playoffs. How can you say he's a good quarterback? He was on the Lions, guy. I, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Put a, put a guy with his arm talent and his IQ level on a good team, He's going to prove to you he's a top 10 quarterback. I bumped him down a little bit, but he is number 7. He's top 10 for 100% and a Super Bowl champion, so no question. Wow. Low. You think he's low? I think, I think that's awfully low. Wow. All right, you're number 7. I mean, because I, I think you got to remember. I'm just looking at it here. I think you're kind of forgetting about the regular season he had. He was only 100 yards away from 5,000, and he threw for 41 touchdowns and 17 inches. You know, that's... The, the, the interception is why I put him lower a little bit, but I, I get what you're saying. But a, but a 103 passer rating is pretty good. No, it's phenomenal. I have him at, again, I have him at number seven. It's, it is kind of splitting hairs, too, but where, who do you have at number seven? You're not going to like it. <laughs> it's, it's Joe Burrow, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. I, I got Joe Burrow seventh. I, I got Joe Burrow seventh. I think Joe Burrow is going to win multiple Super Bowls in his career. I think that Joe Burrow is an absolutely fantastic player. I have him seventh because compared to the other guys on this list, his regular season numbers were a bit below. And compared to the other guys on this list, barring maybe two or three of them, he probably did have the best surroundings. Yes, he had the worst offensive line, yes. Oh, he got sacked 70 times. You better believe that. A hell of a lot of times. And it was nine times in the ten. The t- right, which will change this year. I will say that I think that the next – Three or four guys are the closest parts of this list. Uh, I think it could go any way. I felt bad putting Burrow at seven, but I personally couldn't see him above the others. But you know, despite the you know incredible run that they had, um, I think that a lot of it and a lot of what made Burrow so great last year and what makes him so great is his clutchness. I don't think that he's not a superb athlete and throwing the football because he is. But I do think, compared to the next guys, that he's an inch below in those regards. And that I just think that I do believe it will happen. That he will show the clutch gene over the next few years and that he will always do it when it matters. But I just think for him, for example, Brady, like we've talked about many times, in terms of pure talent, isn't where the other guys, a bunch of these other guys are. Yeah. He gets above them because of the mental aspect, like what Burrow has, because of this and this and that. And the reason he's above them because of that aspect is because he's done it for so many years. Burrow will do it, but for me to rank him above a Herbert, who's probably more gifted than him, I want to see him do it for another two or three years, which I believe he will do. But as of now, I think seven's reasonable. 
It's funny you mentioned Tom Brady because I have a quote here from one of the uh, um, NF. I believe it was it was an NFL offensive coach that said this about Burrow. Jeremy Fowler didn't give the name of the coach that said it, but this was the quote. He goes, "I hate to compare anybody to Brady, but he might be the closest thing." What did he take? What did he take? Nine sacks in that playoff game against Tennessee? Didn't flinch. Hung in there. He's just got toughness about him and the ability to think through a game, which is literally everything you talked about. His toughness. His like his nickname is Joe Cool. He never gets too high or too low. He's always just there in the moment, able to respond to whatever is thrown at him. And again, it's funny you mentioned Brady because this guy, this coach, compared him to Brady off the bat. And I do think play style, playing in the pocket, kind of moving when he needs to, thinking the game at a higher level than most guys, he is kind of similar. Obviously, no one's Tom Brady. We're not saying that. Don't 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 twist my words here, uh, you know, listeners. But Burrow, I think I have him at six. And again, we're flip-flopped. I have Burrow right ahead of Stafford at six. Part of what I think the reasoning he should be at six is, this guy tore his ACL in his rookie in, in his rookie season. He comes back and in his first full season takes the Bengals to the Super Bowl. He beats a Patrick Mahomes on the road in Kansas City. And not to mention he beat him once in the regular season as well, so he beat him twice in the same season. He beat a good Titans defense who sacked him nine times on the road in the divisional round after beating the Raiders in the first round. So he won in the wild card divisional and the conference championship against, you know, I would say in each round he played a much better team in each round. Was able to get through all of that. And then, honestly, was if he had just a slight, slightly better O-line, Jamar Chase, a lot of people forget, was wide open on a go route on the play where Aaron Donald finished the game by sacking Joe Burrow. If, if, if Donald gets blocked even for like two more seconds, Burrow has Jamar on the go route, and they're winning that Super Bowl and beating the Los Angeles Rams. He was one play away from winning the Super Bowl in his first full season, really his full true rookie season as a starting quarterback. His toughness, his mentality, everything about him, his swagger on the field, everything, his arm talent, he is number six. And I know people are going to be like, well, how do you put him against the guy that beat him in the Super Bowl? I put more on who beat him in the Super Bowl as the defense. as opposed. Obviously, Stafford played great, but the defense is what won them that game in the end and stopped that Bengals offense a decent amount in the second half after that first touchdown. I have him over Stafford slightly. I agree with you. He's not better than Herbert, as you will see where I have Herbert on this list. I have him above Burrow. I disagree with those who think Burrow is better than Herbert because I don't think he is yet. And I'm going to address what, like, the, the arguments that they, people use against Herbert, I think, are bogus. And I'll address that when I talk about him. But, yeah, I have Burrow at six, just ahead of you having him at seven. So, who's your number six? Yeah, I, I was having trouble on five and six. Uh, I'll just tell you ahead of time what the trouble was. It was Herbert and Stafford. Uh, I ended up having uh, Herbert at six, mm. um, a guy that had 5,000 passing yards last year, 38 yeah, 15 interceptions and a 97.7 rating. So he had two less picks than Stafford. He had three less touchdowns and he barely had a worse rating, but he did have about a hundred, only about 115 more yards. So, almost identical seasons. Um, and the only reason that I just gave Stafford the slight edge, and obviously, you know, Herbert didn't have the team. He will have it this year, but he didn't have a comparable team to the Rams last year. Kind of like what you had mentioned with the experience with Wilson, even though Stafford didn't have the experience of playoffs and, you know, he had an 0-3 playoff record coming in, like you mentioned when you did your 
uh, description of where you had Stafford. Once he had a team, he did it right away. You know, there wasn't any lag time. It didn't take a year. He absolutely performed as soon as he got a team right away. And even though he may not have been an MVP season, you know, he may not have been up there with the likes of Mahomes, Allen, and Rodgers. He did anything you could have asked of him and brought that team to a Super Bowl victory right away. So by that, it, it was very close. Um, so I have Herbert at six and Stafford at five. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's with these, like you said, with these three guys, it, it was the toughest to order them because they're all so great and two of them are so young right now. They both only, Herbert's played three seasons, Burroughs played two. So it's so tough to rank these guys. I want to remind everybody, though, the circumstance that Herbert was put into, even in his rookie season. He wasn't the starter coming out. Tyrod Taylor was the starter for the Chargers. And they still had Anthony Lynn as the head coach, who we all knew was not that was not a great head coach. Offensively, especially, was not great on offense. Herbert got thrusted into a lineup about 20 minutes before kickoff. I forget exactly what game it was, because a team doctor punctured Tyrod with a needle. Herbert got thrusted into the lineup, and in 15 games, he had a passer rating of 98.3, 4,336 yards, 31 touchdowns, and 10 picks in his rookie season. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember if it was the best, but it was one of the best statistical rookie seasons a quarterback has ever put up. I think it might have been the best, stats-wise, but rookie season, especially when he really wasn't the starter coming out at first. Like you said, last season, over 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 15 picks. You know, the, the guy performs. He is insane. I want to, you know, remind people, just because he hasn't made the playoffs and hasn't won a playoff game yet, that does not mean that he is not more talented than Burrow, because he is. And I see so many people, because Burrow made the Super Bowl last season, I, you know, I'm almost like now talking against him, but I'm not talking against him. I'm making the argument for why Herbert's better. You watch these two guys play. I say this. Nobody, nobody ever talks about Justin Herbert's legs and his ability to run with the football. This guy can extend plays. He's a powerful runner. I believe six 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 seven. He's a tall a guy, 240 pounds, super athletic. Nobody ever mentions the guy's athleticism. I know he has a strong arm. That's always talked about. I think Herbert is really actually underrated because he should be a top five quarterback, and that's not a debate. He is top five. Justin Herbert, going forward, I think will win not just one, probably two MVPs. I think he's the guy like, that has that kind of Aaron Rodgers talent that just jumps off the page, that Mahomes, Josh Allen talent where you're like, damn, this guy is for real. He will win at least one MVP, in my opinion, probably two. I would look at Burrow as somebody that will probably have more playoff success, more postseason wins, but Herbert as an individual talent, 100% top five in my book. I think the argument of no playoff games, no wins is bogus. It's ridiculous. He also has a head coach now in Brandon Staley that doesn't know about the rule in football where you can punt on a fourth down. All he ever does is go for it on fourth down. And I you know, I think that might have hurt him a little bit too. The fact that he has a, a coach that would have them go for it in their own in their own zone, their own territory on like a fourth and two when there was no need to do so. Herbert is top five, 100% in my book, no question. I like what you said. I uh, know I agree. I, I I I think that a lot of people, you know, don't really realize the you know what he 
what he's made of what he's been given. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like people, people want to use these bogus. You know, if it drives me crazy because I don't understand the argument. It's not logical because you the, the eye test is all you need with Herbert. Forget even the stats. You watch the guy play. He is a once in a generational talent. And you of all people, you've talked about this. He was one of your worst projections going into the draft. You thought he was going to be a bust. The guy is probably again is a top five talent. As a young quarterback, he's top three young talent with Mahomes, Allen, and then him. He's third behind those two. If it wasn't for those two, he'd be the best young talent in the league. It's not a question. Not a question. Yeah. No. Yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. So, yeah. Uh, move on to four. I'm sure we both have Brady here. I, I. No. No. I have Josh Allen at four, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. So, I have Josh Allen at four. Mainly, it's not even anything that he's done wrong. I think Josh Allen's going to win the MVP this upcoming season. I think he's going to have it the best year of his career. I think he, even him, he's underrated in terms of how people talk about him as a dual-threat quarterback because he doesn't run the same way Lamar and Kyler do in terms of like a little speedy, quick guy. He's a power. He's like a Cam Newton. He's a power runner. He will run you over in the open field. You don't want to try to open tackle this guy. I'm gonna, you know, I'll read off some of his stats in a minute just to give you a reference point. But Josh Allen is—he's unbelievable. His ability to throw on the run, some of the the crazy kind of freestyle plays that he'll make, almost just he'll make he'll make he'll make something out of nothing. Essentially, is what I'm trying to say. He's such a great quarterback. There's nothing bad to say about the guy. Last season, threw for 4,400 yards, 36 touchdowns. He did have 15 interceptions. But then you look at his rushing yards as well. If I can, pull, I'm trying to find them right here. Give me one second. Again, passing the ball, he's unbelievable. I can't find his rushing stats, but as a runner, again, I think he's even underrated in that sense. Last year, his his QB rating in 2020 was 107. Last year, it was 92. Phenomenal stats by Josh Allen. He, mark my words, he will win the MVP this season, but I have him at number four, and we'll find out why in, in a little bit. But, yeah, he's four. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I personally, I think he's got to be top three because I, I think personally, like, the statement game for me for his career was that home game against New England. I mean, once I watched him throw, you know, they didn't even punt in that game. And I know New England, you know, you could say what they want about Mac and whatever, but that was the best defense in the league last year. And he threw five touchdown passes and didn't allow his team to punt once. I that the defining game of his career more so was the game on the road in a loss because of the stupid overtime rules that don't allow a player to get the ball back. I think that was even more his defining game because of what he did without even utilizing his best player in Stephon Diggs. He was utilizing Gabriel Davis. That's That was even more that game. That game was absolutely absurd. But what I'm saying is once he had, once he did what he did in the first game, I wasn't even surprised. Because once I, I see, yeah, he proved to you in the first, in the, in the wild card round, I see what you're saying. He proved to me in the, in the wild card round that he had the type of game, and I, you know I'm not I'm not gonna disrespect Tom Brady, Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. But I don't know about you, but I ain't never seen Tom Brady have a game like that in his damn. I've never seen Brady have a game like 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 the top three they had in the survey list, which was Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen. I've never seen Brady do half of the things they've done. All I'm gonna ask, so Brady, you keep Brady at four, right? So you have him at four. I have Brady four, and then Allen third. So do you have the top, the same top four that the, the NFL survey list did? Yeah, like I said, I, I told you, I liked the top of the list. I, I thought it was very reasonable. I thought Brady being fourth, I thought he, I thought he definitely deserved to be better than the guys we just talked about. But I just think, like I said, that game for Allen and, and then the following game, too, counting as a factor, 
is just making him be at a point now where he is actually he showed that he's uh, you know he's around Mahomes and and he's around Rodgers like if, and 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 I don't and I think percent is hundred percent and I think that Brady is not at, at this point I I just I don't, I don't think that like I don't I'm not saying that he's dropped off uh, you know but I just don't think that as of right now going into this fresh season that I would have Brady on those guys level and what I'm anticipating them to be able to do with their teams. And another thing that, you know, you can't take anything away from Brady and, you know, it makes me feel weird to do so. But in talking about those three specifically, you know, Brady's, you know, the schedule they had last year was really weak. And that division was, that division was awfully weak last year. It'll be better this year. But, man, were the Falcons and Panthers some absolute scrubs. And, you know, the Saints are always going to give them a game, but they didn't have a quarterback. So well, it's like, and both times still. They just own they own Brady and the Bucks in the regular season. But I get what you're saying. But I'm just saying, and they didn't win those games. But, you know, overall, their, their schedule just wasn't great. And, I, and, 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 again, I'm only bringing it up because it's close and because we're talking about the best quarterbacks in the league. You know, it, it's, I'm not trying to take away from Brady. You have to bring up small things when you're splitting hairs like this to try to make your point. I understand what you're doing. You're not going to like this thing. Mahomes at three, I catapulted Brady all the way up to two. And I'll be honest with you, I'll, let me explain why. Now, this is, this is no disrespect to Patrick Mahomes whatsoever because last year I, you know, I was a Chiefs hater. I was a doubter. I said they wouldn't make the playoffs. One of my worst takes. I'm sure you remember on the show, you were calling me crazy, right, Jacob? I, I remember you were like, you were on me saying that, you know, me thinking that Mahomes wouldn't turn it around with how bad that offense looked, you proved me wrong 100%. They were back in the AFC Championship game again for like the fourth straight season. Mahomes last year in a down year, you know, I'm saying down year in air quotes, if you like sar- sarcastically, had 4,839 passing yards and 37 touchdowns, completion percentage of 66.3, and I believe, I don't remember, I don't know his QBR, his QBR was a 62.2. And his quarterback rating was a 98.5. So the guy put up phenomenal stats. Um, what I think is going to be interesting, one thing I want to mention about Mahomes, and I did have Brady at two and Rodgers at one, it's going to be interesting to see how Mahomes and Rodgers, who most people have a consensus, they're the top two in the league right now. I had Mahomes at three. But those two, with now losing their top wide receivers, I'm curious to see who kind of can rally their offense around them and perform better without their top guy. So that'll be curious to see. I know Mahomes still has Kelsey, but we know Hill was his really number one and Adams was Rogers number one. That's going to be cool to see next season as to who can kind of remain at that towards the top of the list without their number one receiver. But the reason I had Brady at two, and I'll be, I'll be straight up with you. Tom Brady last season, I think, has a season that wasn't talked about enough. The guy was what? I believe he was currently, currently if I'm wrong, 44 years old, Jacob, 43 what was he last? It was yeah. It was forty four, forty three last season, I believe. Okay, so he's forty four years old. Last season had a completion percentage of sixty seven point five, threw for five thousand three hundred and sixteen yards, led the league in passing yards, and he had forty three touchdowns, forty three touchdowns at the age of forty three. Not to mention his 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 second best receiver, Chris Godwin, went down in the middle of the season with a torn ACL. Brady managed to do this without his second best weapon. And at the age that he is, I just don't see how I can put him lower than two right now at least because 
He led the league in passing yards, and arguably, based on stats, he put up better numbers than Rodgers did last season. It was a legit argument that I, in the, in the middle of the season, kind of, I think, was clouded by, my, my judgment was clouded by the bias of wanting Rodgers to win it again. Brady really should have beaten him out for the MVP that season because of the stats that he put up. Brady is number two in my book, and then obviously I have Rodgers at number one. That's my argument for why I have Brady above those two. I'm not saying he's more talented than Allen and Mahomes right now. He's not. Going into next season, I think, is probably when he'll be surpassed because Gronk's not there anymore. Godwin will still be hurt, and I'll uh, and the O-line will be worse. He might suffer an injury, knock on wood. Don't want to wish that, obviously, but... I'll probably have Allen and Mahomes above him by next season, but based on his numbers last year, I had to put him at two. Rodgers is number one, two-time MVP. Like I said, he probably didn't deserve last year's, but still a two-time back-to-back MVP. He's number one. Um, I do have a quote, though, I want to give you from an NFC NFC coach said this about Aaron Rodgers, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. He plays it too safe when his team needs the opposite. Late in the down, with pressure, he won't always take risks. On certain plays where he's throwing the easy completion on a smoke route and it's a critical moment, you're thinking, is he really trying to win? What are your thoughts on that quote from, again, unnamed NFC uh, NFC coach? Uh, that's pretty strange. I mean, I, I, I feel like Rodgers is the type of guy that like wouldn't really have any rhyme or reason uh, you know, to what he does. Meaning, I, I think that in a lot of ways in his, you know, Obviously, his playmaking ability and his scrambling at times. I don't think necessarily he has those type. I don't think he will have like direct tendencies, which is kind of like what this guy is saying. I think it fluctuate. His game probably fluctuates a little bit more than whatever that coach is saying. But overall, that that quote just kind of confuses me, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can see what you're saying, and it confuses you. What what comes to my mind is um is is the way in the 49ers game when they were critical third downs, and he was kind of forcing it to uh, Devontae Adams. Now, I wouldn't really align that with what he's saying because he's more talking about you know not taking risks and not doing what he, what needs to be done. I think probably what he's referencing, it just popped into my head now, is the is the game against Tampa when he didn't run it in on that on that critical third down play and he chose to throw in a double coverage to Devontae. That's probably what he means is that on the on that play, like he, he was trying to look for the completion instead of taking that risk and running for it, you know, going in that lane, which honestly most people didn't even consider it a risk because he was it looked it looked like he had such an open lane to the end zone. But I don't necessarily agree with it a lot of the time. Maybe you could point to one or two plays in the postseason when he hasn't shown up because, let's be honest, in that critical moment, he probably should have ran the ball in. In the 49ers game, he played terribly. He didn't show up whatsoever on his home field. But I don't necessarily agree with him that Rodgers, you know, isn't clutch under pressure because we've seen him time and time again in the regular season on those, like, you know, 40-second, 30-second drives get from his own 25 to the other team's 40 and get a 50-yard field goal to win the game. So in that sense, you really can't talk about him that way. It's honestly disrespectful. But when you talk about the postseason, yeah, I can understand it because there have been moments recently when he hasn't been as clutch as you would expect him to be, I guess. So I kind of I understand it, but I don't really think it was necessary to say because as a whole, as a player, it doesn't really apply to him, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I mean, either way, you know, there's always a lot of, uh, you know, quotes coming out. I don't really like the fact that the NFL, it's always some... An NFC East executive. 
Well, no, because well, because this list, this list was created, like explaining to the listeners how it was created. Jeremy Fowler, who's a who's an NFL analyst insider, he would literally just text NFL coaches, scouts, executives, and players, like over you know hundreds of them, and literally just say, "Give me your top ten uh, quarterback list, receiver, running back, etc." And they're gonna do every other position in the next like ten days or so. But he he did that, and then composite list of all the lists he received, and then compositely put them together and then he would form his ESPN survey like based on all the surveys he would come to the conclusion of his top of that top 10 list from all of those people that's why I'm giving you the quotes from the executives just because they're the ones kind of making the list almost essentially but yeah that's I, I disagree no, I'm not with, blaming you I'm saying I hate how they don't give you the name. I, I'm explaining to you why I'm just where I'm getting the quote from essentially right yeah, so we'll move on to running backs here. Um, they released the list again, same thing, NFL survey, as I explained before. Their top 10 list consisted, or, you know, it went as such. Number 10, Javante Williams. Nine, they had Aaron Jones. At eight, they had Najee Harris. Seven, McCaffrey. Six was Joe Mixon. Five was Alvin Kamara. Four, they had Dalvin Cook. And the top three was Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, and they had Derrick Henry, King Henry at the number one spot. Now, Jacob, before we even get into our list, one player I noticed was missing that I was a little bit surprised at, Saquon Barkley. Did you have him in your top 10 at all before we just jump into where we had him specifically of all our players? I I had him in the lower part of my list, yeah. Yeah, I was the same way. I just wanted to know if you had him in the list. I felt there was a – I know he's injury prone, but a bit disrespectful to not put him on that list, I think. It put Javante over him. But we'll jump into it. Number 10, I'll start out. I actually had – my honorable mention was Josh Jacobs. Number 10, I actually had Saquon. I put him right at number 10. Um, in his first you know, first two seasons, honestly, in his rookie year was his best season. I believe he rushed for what? It was like 1,300 yards, I think it was. And he had, I believe, about 500 receiving yards. I remember right now. It was four. I was Actually, no, it was 721. So the guy in his rookie season had over 2,000 yards of scrimmage total. And he had 11 total touchdowns. Or no, sorry, 11 rushing and 4 passing. So he had 15 total touchdowns and over 2,000 total scrimmage yards. Ever since then, his stats have gone downhill, partly due to injury. In 2020, he only played two games. Last season, he only he played 13 games, but his stats were really abysmal. 593 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He had, I believe it was 263. He had only... Four total touchdowns, which was really, really bad. But I still think he has to be top 10 because when he's fully healthy, his talent and, excuse me, his ability to catch the ball, he's a dual threat running back. That's really important in today's NFL. So I still put him top 10, but just not super high. Just, you know, right at number 10, right on the cusp. Yeah, I I had him at 9. I had your boy Aaron Jones at 10. Uh, I think that Aaron Jones... uh, a, re- a really good running back, to be honest, in, in an offense that always seems to be ever-changing. Like, every year they seem to have a different identity. Uh, you know, with the loss of Devontae Adams, you could probably look for him to be particularly, you know, taking on a different role this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, him, him and, AJ, and AJ Dillon both. He got a pretty big extension, right? You know, he did. Him and A.J. Dillon are going to be a huge part of the offense going forward due to the fact that Adams is not there and they're going to need to rely on the run game. And even those two in the pass game. Uh, yeah, so I think I think that that gets him above a guy like Javante Williams, and I quite frankly think he may just be better than him anyway. But, I don't, you know, obviously I don't think he's as, you know, physically unbelievable as the rest of the guys on this list because, as we know, a lot of these running backs are, are just really incredible athletes. But, you know, I, I have him at 10. And a little spoiler, I had Saquon just above. You know, if Saquon 
dealing with injuries. I'm sure he'd probably be top five or top three because yeah. that's what he was and as a rookie. So, you know, we'll see if he can bounce back this year. And, you know, they're always going to rely on him if, as long as they have Daniel Jones because he stinks. He does. The flip-flopping continues. I had Aaron Jones at 9, Saquon at 10. Um, I think Aaron Jones has been an underrated part of that offense in these last few years. In 2019 specifically, he had 16 rushing touchdowns, and he had three receiving. He had 19 total touchdowns in that season. Pretty impressive. Rushed for over 1,000 yards, had almost 500 yards of receiving. So he had about almost 600 total scrimmage yards that season. Rushed for 1,100 in 2020, had nine touchdowns. Last season, uh, not, not as productive, only 800 rushing yards, but that was part of the fact that the offense was more predicated on passing, how you mentioned their offensive identity kind of switches year to year almost because in, in 19 and 2020, he was the, he was really the main focus of that offense in both passing and running game. Getting A.J. Dillon as the other kind of power every down back also kind of took touches away from Aaron Jones, but I had him at number nine just because he's been healthy, been more consistent as of late than Saquon has, but Saquon is still top 10, but I had Jones at nine. We'll go to number eight. I kept Najee Harris right where he was on the original survey list. I had him at number eight. In his rookie season, let me just throw these numbers out for you because people severely underrated what Najee Harris did. Keep in mind behind probably, if not, the Bengals' O-line was worse, but it was one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL with the Steelers, and their pass game was atrocious for pretty much the entire season with Big Ben being unable to throw the football more than 10 yards down the field because of his elbow injury. Najee Harris in that offense... He had 307 rushing attempts for 1,200 rushing yards exactly, seven touchdowns. He had 467 receiving yards, and he had he had basically 10 total touchdowns. But he also had over, uh, I believe it was over 1,600 scrimmage yards. I know I'm talking about the stats, but when you watched him play, he would just make he would make plays out of nothing. He would get a pass thrown to him, a screen pass thrown three yards behind the line of scrimmage, and end up taking it for a seven-yard gain by just trucking, stiff-arming other defenders. He was such a power back, and in his rookie season, again, being put in a not-so-great situation, a not-so-great formula for a run offense, he succeeded. And there are so many people that I know that say Javante Williams is better, has a higher ceiling. They're out of their damn minds. Javante Williams is good and talented, don't get me wrong he he's an honorable mention with Josh Jacobs Najee Harris is so much better than him and it's not even close by a long shot so I have Najee at eight and I think Najee could be top five. I have had so many of my friends come to me and say that they think Javante Williams has a higher ceiling than Najee oh touches if Melvin Gordon wasn't in Denver that he'd be better than Najee I go you're at it that's despicable disgusting Dude, Najee, Najee could be top five next year depending on how well he plays that's not not even out, out of the question yeah, I, I actually saw they said on the list like highest rank. There were people ranking him three, four, and five already. Yeah, so, because he's that he's that talented, dude. He has that good and he's running, running in between the tackles. Who did you have at number eight though? I had Joe Mixon at eight. Uh what a year he had. I mean he, he really yeah. surprised a lot of people. Uh he's kinda known to be very inconsistent, which changed this year a lot. Uh I always end up with him in fantasy, so I can tell you he is always very inconsistent. But this year, uh, he finally kind of broke that curse to have a really, really good year. Uh, he was really, like, just such a good duo with Burrow. You know, young quarterbacks often need that, you know, running back to have as a safety net. Uh, and it just worked so well there. And he just fit into their offense so well, as he always has. Uh, I, they just never seemed to use him right, you know. And they, I feel like they finally got it right this year. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be around next year to be good once again. So I had him at eight. Really quick before I give my seven, to continue this flip-flop trend, did you have Najee Harris at number seven? 
Yes, I did. Okay, I had Joe Mixon at number seven. Um, I, Joe Mixon had his best statistical season of his career, 1,200 rushing yards, 13 touchdowns. And in the passing game, again, it wasn't terrible. He had 314 receiving yards, had 16 total touchdowns on the season. And I think another big thing about why it was so great to see Mixon succeed was that coming in with Jamar Chase, Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, which in my opinion is the best receiving core in the NFL, the Bengals do have that, and they have a top six quarterback in my opinion. The fact that he was utilized as much as he was and had the production that he did, in that season specifically, I was shocked. Because if anything, this would be the season that I would look at and go, well, they're not going to utilize him that much. And he was even utilized in the past game. So I was very surprised to see how successful that he was. Um, I hope that he can do well more in the future. He did have two seasons prior to that where he rushed for over 1,100 yards. So he does produce stats. In the, in, the, in the one season, 2020, where he didn't do much, he missed 10 games in the season. So not really on him, not his fault. So, yeah, I, I think he's number seven. Again, I put him above Najee because he's been in the league longer. Um, he was a big part as to why Cincinnati got to the Super Bowl. But, again, I think Najee pretty much will I'm, – I'm almost guaranteeing Najee 100% to leapfrog him in the rankings next year, in my opinion. But for now, I have Mixon at seven. Let's see. Uh, we'll give you a number six, though. You can go first. Uh, yeah, this is where it gets really hard because all these guys like are so good once you get here. And they're all so established, too. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Taylor, technically not, but he's just that good. Uh, I had Dalvin Cook at six, which is like so hard to say. Um, I know they had Christian McCaffrey there. Um, I-, I love Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey's dual threat ability is better than anyone on this list. Anyone, I mean, obviously, anyone's going to agree. Kamara, too, is, you know, Actually, come here. Dude, McCaffrey had a thousand and a thousand in the same season. It's not even question. Yeah, so I, I could, I, I personally didn't feel comfortable having McCaffrey at six. And then when you look at the rest of the guys, I think Cook's the only one that could slip below, uh, out of the top five. I had him six. I think he's great. I think he's an explosive back with a lot of speed who can cut up field really quickly. I don't think he's as physically gifted as you know probably the rest of these backs, but uh, you know, still great. I have him six. I have McCaffrey at six, and I, I'll be, if you have McCaffrey at five, I swear, because this flip-flopping thing is ridiculous. I'm assuming you do. Yeah, I have McCaffrey at six. The only reason he's not ahead of Dalvin Cook is because of the injury prone. He's missed, he missed 13 games in 2020, and he missed 11 games last year. The funny thing is, is that this is how much of a, how good of a receiver he is in, in terms of his route running, too. Because do you remember, I'm, I'm going to ask you this specific play. Do you remember the route that he was, he came out on a wheel route on a linebacker, and he gave him a little stutter step, juke to the outside, and then came inside? That route that he ran was better than, like, some of the top ten wide receivers that they've put. Like, we'll talk about that list in a second. But some of the best receivers in the NFL can't run a route as crisply and as cleanly as McCaffrey can. It was funny. In his rookie season, he started ten games. He had more receiving yards than he did rushing yards, and he had more receiving touchdowns than rushing touchdowns. He's almost more of a receiver than he is a running back. But, like you said, dual threat ability. I think he's the best in the league when healthy. In the in his best season, 2019, he played all 16 games, started all of them, had almost 1,400 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns, had 1,000 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. That's that's basically almost 2,400 total scrimmage yards and almost 20 total touchdowns. That's absurd. I mean, Jonathan Taylor almost touched that this season. I think he did. But, dude, McCaffrey is anyone who says, I've heard people say he's not top 10. I thought he was top three before the injury stuff started happening. When he was healthy, in the year 2019, I believe I, I, believe I was even saying, before Derrick Henry went ballistic, I was saying McCaffrey was the most talented and best uh, running back in the NFL. He's fallen to six, but McCaffrey's still one of the most talented. Like you said, it's hard to order these guys because they're all so good, but I have McCaffrey at six, and I had Dalvin Cook at five. 
You said you had McCaffrey at five. We split again, you know, going opposite. Dalvin Cook, again, I had him at five. I mean, I'm pretty much everything I said about McCaffrey for six, I'm sure you're going to say about him for number five. Um, and everything you said about Dalvin at, for having him at number six, I have him at number five. I think he is, again, one of the best running backs in this league in terms of like a power runner. He's not the best at either thing that he does. I would I would put McCaffrey above him, above him if he was healthy. But, you know, Dalvin, in the last three seasons, he's rushed for over 1,100 yards every year. In the past game, he's not utilized a ton, not really as, as many, many as these other guys. But, um, again, in, in an offense with Kirk and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, I think he is kind of, you know, the afterthought at times in that offense. Um, and, yeah, I just think that Dalvin Cook, he's at number five. Again, it's splitting hairs. But, you know, why do you have McCaffrey at five? I'm sure everything I explained kind of covered it. But Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the injuries, I'd have him above a Nick Chubb. I mean, I, I think he's that good. I would, too, because of the dual threat, like you said. Yeah, so, I mean, I, as a player, there's nothing you can take away besides the injuries. So, that just keeps him where he is. But if he stays healthy this year, uh, you know, I, I, I could definitely see him and Baker really working really nicely together, too. That's I was going to say, in the past game, him utilizing Baker, or, sorry, Baker utilizing him a lot in the way he's he's utilized so much in that offense. And another thing I want to point out, too, they say he's injury-prone. He also gets way more – He his usage rate, is it, it was, when he was healthy, was the highest in the NFL. The fact that he didn't get hurt even before 2020 baffled me because the percentage of how much he was touching the ball, no other player in the league, even quarterbacks, touched the ball as much as he does. Like, he touched it pretty much in every single possession. They were targeting him every single possession, either handing him the ball or passing him the ball. So – the fact that he was able to stay healthy for three seasons, props to you, dude, because you're getting the ball so much, you're getting hit so much. I'm not surprised he gets injured, but yeah, it's it's tough that he it's it's sad that he got injured because he's so talented, and I would rank him higher if he was healthy. But at number four, I have Alvin Kamara. Um, the only reason I had him at four, I wanted to put him at three above Nick Chubb, but I couldn't, and I have Nick Chubb at three again, spoiling, but. Kamara has never rushed for over a thousand, uh, for over 930 yards in his career. Sorry, 940 yards. Never had an 1,000 um, yard rushing season. And I know that he makes up for it in the fact that in his in the past game he's never had a season where he's uh, had less than 430 receiving yards. And I'm throwing out a lot of numbers. I know, but as a running back. You know, I know the Saints don't utilize him in the run game a ton, and he's never had a season where he's played a full 16 games. But there has to be at least a season where you rush for a thousand yards as a as a top running back. The only thing saving him is is his ability in the pass game. That's the only thing saving him from not falling even below a Dalvin Cook. So I have him at four. I'm sure we'll flip flop again. I, I I had a lot of trouble between Chubb and Kamara. You had Chubb at four. I ended up going Chubb at four. Um, and we did flip-flop, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so close with those guys. I mean, Kamara just offers so much versatility, um, whereas Chubb is just your, you know, give it to him and he's going to put his damn head down and go. Um, and, and, and just because of the fact that I do think, despite the numbers, I think that Kamara, you know, profiting so much from the passing game, but still, really, if you evaluate him and his talents, could be a true runner if you wanted him to be. It's just the fact that he can also get get out into the backfield, too. And the other thing that had him just barely above is, you know, running backs always, you know, quarterbacks are the guys at the end of the game that are making the plays and making the calls, you know, 90% of the time. 
But if you really look at the Saints, especially due to their troubles in the quarterback situation in the last couple of years, and Breeze and his massive decline at the end of his career, they've just relied on Kamara so much, and they've stayed relevant so much. You know, they've been at least around 500, even in these last couple of years that they haven't been as good and no sure guy under Helm. He, I feel like he's been the main reason that they've been relevant, along with some guys in the defense. But he's just had so much weight on his shoulders, and he's continued to deliver. So that's why I had him just barely above a Chubb, who is obviously just a great runner, typical ground and pound, you know, a, a great guy. No, I had Chubb at three, and I mean, if you look at this, I'm bringing up just this one stat, and that's it about him, because again, we've talked, you talked about him a little bit, but. In his, in his rookie season, he rushed for 996 yards. I'm going to go just for the sake of an argument and, get, and just give him four extra yards and say he rushed for 1,000 because he basically did. He hasn't rushed for under 1,000 rushing yards, essentially, in all four of his seasons since 2018. 996, 1494, 1067, and 1,259. And he's only played one full season of 16 games starting. Even in the two where he's missed a few games, he still managed to get over 1,000 yards downs in every single season rushing the ball I know he doesn't do a lot in the past game but dude for you to be able to be that consistent of a runner and stay healthy like that as a running back in a league where running backs are undervalued you have to be number three in my book I've had people that tell me he's number one I think that's a stretch but for you to be that consistent with your numbers you got to be number three that's the only reason I have him above Kamara and again Kamara has been injured at times and he doesn't put up those kind of numbers so I put Nick Chubb at three I'm assuming we have the same top two order. I'm going to give you mine, and you'll tell me if you're the same. I had JT at number two and King Henry at number one. I think that that, that was the one thing that was gotten right in this list, and we, we both kind of shifted our orders around with all these guys, but this is where I think we'll agree, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, hopefully. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, for JT to be second at this stage is just so incredible, but he really is that good. Um, King Henry was an MVP candidate as a running back. Um, which is not ever going on ever. Um, so he's got to be number one. So I, I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I had, you know, looking at Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he only, he's only been in the league for two seasons. And last year he probably, I mean, Cooper Cup had an insane season, but he was right there to win Offensive Player of the Year. The guy rushed for 1,800 yards. And he rushed for 18 touchdowns, had two uh, receiving touchdowns and 360 receiving yards. The guy had 2,100 total scrimmage yards, even more than McCaffrey did in that 2019 season, and he had 20 total touchdowns. The guy was a monster. With Carson Wentz a quarterback, he was the main functioning reason why the Colts offense did anything last season. And even in his rookie year, when he only started 13 games, he had 11, almost 1,200 rushing yards, 11 rushing touchdowns. He had one uh, receiving touchdown, so he's still, like, he's put up numbers in both seasons. He's, like, putting up Nick Chubb numbers even better, that he's rushed for over 1,000, over 1,100 yards in his first two seasons. If he maintains this, he'll probably be number one in a few years because I think out of any running back, he's gotten off to the best start in his career of anybody else in the NFL right now. Stats-wise, at least especially, he's been the most dominant, most consistent so far. Everybody else who's come in had, had time, you know, take time to grow. Aaron Jones wasn't like that at the beginning. Even Derrick Henry. He started two games his rookie year, only two games in his second year. He didn't really start putting up those kind of this a thousand yard numbers in these big years till his till his third year, honestly, in twenty eighteen. So Jonathan Taylor might leapfrog him in the next like year or two just based on the fact that he's been so consistent. But you know, again, Henry two thousand rushing yards in twenty twenty. He missed half the season last year and still almost rushed for a thousand yards and ten touchdowns. For you to miss half the season and still put those numbers up just shows how dominant the guy is. It's no question right now it's King Henry. 
I think even possibly next year, depending on what happens with King Henry, JT could uh, leapfrog him, but it's agreeable those two are definitely top two, but Derrick Henry just gets him at the number one spot. We will move on to the final list that has been released so far. I know it's been a lot of NFL stuff, but I want to get into this because it's fun to talk about these positions. Wide receivers. I'm going to tell you what the list was for the survey. Again, this is all surveys the way I explained it before. The list was as such. Number 10, they had DK Metcalf. Number 9 was Debo Samuel. Number 8 was Mike Evans. Number 7 was DeAndre Hopkins. Number 6, they had Stephon Diggs. 5 was Tyreek Hill. 4 was Justin Jefferson. 3, Jamar Chase, who just finished his rookie season, the highest rookie we've seen on any of these lists. Three, or, no, sorry, Number 2 was Cooper Cup, and number 1 was Devontae Adams. I'm going to jump into my list real quick. I'll let Jacob go after me. Number 10, or sorry, honorable mention, I had Metcalf and A.J. Brown, both good receivers, both young guys, but they're not top 10. At number 10, I did have Debo Samuel. Looking in hindsight, I think we, me ranking him so high earlier in the year when we were talking about him during the season was kind of some recency biased. Before this season, he had done much of nothing, honestly. The high was 802 receiving yards for 57 receptions. Only had 77 receptions last year. I know he's a factor in the run game, but he only rushed for 365 rushing yards. He did score 14 total touchdowns, but I think over, you know, barring the rest of these guys, he has to be number 10, only been in the league for three seasons. I do think we had a little bit of recency bias of freaking out of how good his season was this year, but still a top 10 guy. I put him at number 10. Jacob, what about you? Yeah, I, they had Metcalf. I, I I can't have Metcalf there. Um, I, I, I could see a few guys at 10, but I'll go with, uh, I like, I like Keenan Allen at 10, man. I could see him higher, but they didn't even have him in the list. And I think in terms of a guy like Debo and him, it's awfully close. I think that Mike Smith and him split a lot of touches. Obviously, they had both of those guys. Not Mike Smith, I said Mike Williams. I'm fading here, Tino. I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, but, I, you know, they're both on the ends. And uh, But I think Allen um, has been really good for a long time and has been very consistent. Um, he's 11.7 yards per catch for his career. That's crazy. Yeah, I, again, I, if you, do you have Debo at 9? Would you put Debo at 9? I, I mean, I, I can see Debo at 8, but these guys are so good above him. I mean, I could see Mike Evans at 9 and Debo at 8. Okay. Um, Mike Evans has just been so consistent for so long. Yeah, so I'll have Evans at 8 and then Debo at 9, but I think it's awfully close between those two because I think Debo has been – so incredibly explosive, especially this past season, and just such a playmaker and another guy that, like, they just rely on him so much, just consistently deliver over and over. Yeah, more flip-flopping here. I had Keenan Allen at number nine. Um, again, last the last, uh, what is it, five seasons, he, he had uh, 1,300 receiving yards, almost 1,200, almost 1,200 again. He had basically 1,000 in, in uh, 2020, I believe it was. In 2021, he had 1,100. Consistently, you know, got over 100 catches over the last five seasons. Again, he had 97 in 2018. Wow, you know, so far off. The guy gets targeted a lot, and even with Mike Williams coming in and being a factor, he still manages to put up big numbers. And like you said, 11.7 yards um Excuse me, 11.7 yards per catch. Talk about yak yardage. The guy can make plays with the ball in his hands. Keenan at number nine. And you said you have Mike Evans at number eight. I actually have DeAndre Hopkins at number eight, which I feel like is probably a little bit low for him. I don't know what you think about that. But I do have D-Hop at number eight. Um, you know, over the last few seasons, was, actually, you know what, more so last season, 
Now that I look at his numbers, honestly, he probably should be over Mike Evans, but I'm going to put him at number eight just for the fact that he got hurt last year and didn't have a great season overall, even when he was healthy. Every year, basically, before that, you know, he was drafted in 2013, 1,200 yards, 1,500 yards, 950, 1,300, 1,500, 1,100. You know what? No, screw this. I'm looking at his stats. Mike Evans is great. I'm going Mike Evans at eight and D-Hop at seven. I'm reading off his numbers and in the, the yards this guy brings in and in the amount of catches he gets. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a change and go back on my initial point um on live on the show right now, yeah D Hop is gonna be number seven Mike Evans is number I agree with you Mike Evans is at eight because Mike Evans is great but I didn't look at these stats closely enough DeAndre Hopkins is unreal with these numbers and even though he got hurt last year so scratch that D Hop's number seven Mike Evans is eight who do you have at seven? Yeah I mean if Hopkins hadn't been hurt last year he'd be top five. I was gonna say yeah I feel like I was being a little disrespectful there. I had him seven. I mean. Initially, when I looked at it, I, I, I would have liked him above Diggs. But I think the injury is like enough that you just have to kind of respect what the other guys did in the year that he missed. But if he plays a full season, he will rank above a Diggs and a Hill-type player. But for now, I'll keep him below. Yeah, he won't be playing a full season next year because he was suspended for, I believe it was four or six games for the performance-enhancing drugs. But, you know, that that, that is pretty good, though. Yeah, he still could put, but could have, wow, stroke there. Still could put up some good numbers. Um, but yeah, so at number, I'm gonna go number six. Yeah, I had Stefan, I kept uh, Stefan Diggs where he was at number six. Um, I think that his numbers were really good last year. I think he let, I believe he led the league in catches. I was like a year or two ago. Um, and before I continue with Stefan Diggs, I want to mention this because I feel like a lot of listeners won't know this, and just people in general who call themselves NFL aficionados don't know this about Mike Evans. He was drafted in 2014. He's never had a season with less than a thousand receiving yards. He's never. He really hasn't lately because from like 2014 to 2018, he was talked about as one of like the top five receivers back when AJ Green was really good. He hasn't been talked about like that in a while, and he needs his respect. The guy is a monster. He he wheels the ball in every single season, and he's never. And the, the other crazy thing is too he's never had a season where he's had 100 catches never and he still manages to get over a thousand receiving yards so that's pretty impressive for the for honestly the lack of catches that he does that he does reel in so pretty impressive by mike evans um but yeah number six i have stefan diggs a year ago 127 receptions 1500 receiving yards led the league in both categories obviously cooper cup did it this year but over the last four seasons in minnesota and buffalo he's caught over a thousand yards his talk, talk about Keenan Allen, 11.7 career um, yards per uh, yards per catch. Diggs is 12 and a half. So this guy really makes plays with the ball in his hands. Doesn't really has never been hurt. Has always played outside of his rookie season. Has always started at least 11 games. Didn't miss a game last year. Um, yeah, he he's a monster. So I go number six. But I agree with you, D Hop, with his hands and his skill set. Playing a fully healthy season, D Hop's probably better. But we'll go Diggs at six for now. Yeah, I like Diggs at six, but I honestly had Hill at six. Um, I've said a lot of great things about Tyreek Hill over the years, and I really do think he's fantastic. I mean, obviously, if you want to talk about explosiveness and making big plays, nobody better. Um, the reason I have six is only because of one thing, and it's not, and again, we're talking rankings going into the next season. I just think it's a bit of a question mark to see the adjustments that will be made in the transfer of the court in the you know the transferring of the quarterbacks. Obviously, I don't think that that necessarily means that he's worse or better than somebody else based on who he's playing with. But I just think going into a fresh season, knowing where Diggs is and knowing where he is, 
and the slight unsurety of it, I'll just have him just barely below. But I obviously he's you know quicker. I I, I I get what you're saying though because yes, him playing with Tua over Mahomes doesn't make him a worse player, but his numbers definitely won't be as good as they were in Kansas City. That's for damn sure. Not with Tua throwing the football. Um, but I again I had him at five. Another flip flop moment here. Yeah, he he's the the one. I'm not even gonna bring up his stats because he has put up great numbers. The one thing I'm gonna talk about with Tyreek is that one play he made against the Bills in that playoff game. That play that he took from like about around midfield all the way to the house, beating Jordan Poyer, I believe, was on him, and he beat out him, Micah Hyde, all these defenders in, in the secondary. His big playability and his explosiveness, like you mentioned, and just his quickness is unreal. That's why I have him at five, is just for that big playability. But, again, it's splitting hairs with all these guys towards the top. Moving on to number four, I'm curious if you switch this order around because, again, the, the survey list had from four to one, it was Justin Jefferson, Chase, Cup, and Devontae Adams. My thing is here. I keep Justin Jefferson at number four, and here is why. I think that Justin Jefferson can come out of this season being the best, being considered the best receiver in the NFL. I think he could put up Cooper Cup-like numbers coming into this season. Not a question. However, the one thing that separated what Jay Jets and Jamar Chase, and I, had, I kept Jamar Chase at three, and I'll tell you why. Justin Jefferson this season on 108 catches had 1,616 receiving yards with 10 touchdowns and 15 yards uh, per catch, which is incredible. I'm going to go to Jamar Chase's numbers, though. Jamar Chase put up just just almost 1,000 yards less than Jay Jets did in the yardage, had three more touchdowns, and he only had 81 catches. He was tw- he had tw- he wheeled in 27 less catches than than uh, than Jay Jets did. He received 40 less targets, still managed to almost put up the same amount of yards and more touchdowns. So the reason that I have Jamar above him is because of the production he put up with two other really good two other thousand yard receivers in that offense in Boyd and Higgins, and he still managed to put up those numbers with not nearly as much production and you know just focus within the offense as Jay Jets had. But again, both are they're the two best young wide receivers in the NFL, no question. Young guys, I'm saying like you know 23 or younger. Um, but yeah, I have Jamar at three and Jay Jets at four, two LSU teammates, former teammates. It's splitting hairs, but I'll keep Jamar just because of the production he had with the lack of um, focus and emphasis he had compared to Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's awfully close between the two. I mean, the, the argument for Jefferson, if any, would be the year, the extra year, you know, just the extra proven year because obviously he was also, you know, the, the records that Chase broke for rookie records were records that Justin Jefferson had set just a year ago or two years ago. Well, yeah. So it's awfully close. But, I I mean, Chase was able to do things that I've never seen players do, period, let alone rookies. So I think Chase third is is, is reasonable. I think Jefferson's right behind him. Um, And I think the fact that we have two guys at that age that are passing, you know, the likes of Hill and Diggs, you know, and Allen and Evans, respectively. And Hopkins, too, who was... At less yeah. than 24 years old is absurd, but it's the it's the truth. They're the new, I think, like, almost Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, like, rivalry of the NFL at receiver. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, like, that kind of, like, rivalry of two really good guys. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that, like, in terms of that rivalry going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it depends a lot. Also, you have to remember, they probably won't see each other much uh, based on the... That's true. The, and the conferences, 
Um, not that Julio and I guess Brown did either, but um, obviously it's like there's just a lot of similarities about the way that they burst onto the scene, and it'll be really interesting to see because Kirk Cousins won't be there forever. So let's see if ju- what happens when Justin Jefferson gets you know a top ten quarterback, then things could really flip on its head. If he does get a top ten quarterback, but more so, I was saying like because Julio and AB were the consensus like top two receivers for a while when they were both in their prime, and these two guys I think are going to be the same way where they're going to be able to really, really be those top two wide receivers going forward after we're like kind of done with Cooper Cup and Devontae after they kind of fall off a little bit. But yeah, I'd a hundred percent go with Jay Jets and Jamar Chase. Yeah, so moving on to the top two again, this list, the survey did have uh, Cooper Cup at number two. The reigning Triple Crown Super Bowl MVP had probably, if not if not the best, again, one of the best uh, seasons from a wide receiver. I actually have Devontae Adams at two here. I know he's my guy. I've said he's number one for the longest time. But going into next season, he's not going to have Aaron Rodgers this time. He's going to have Derek Carr. And in a new offense with a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator, playing with somebody you did play with in college, I know that, but still. You're not going to be playing with a guy like Aaron Rodgers who just knew exactly where to put the ball, knew where you wanted it, all that, all, all those intangible kind of things, and that just just that connection. So based on that, and Cooper Cup still having Matt Stafford, still being with probably the greatest football, like the best football mind offensively at least in the NFL right now, and Sean McVay, I would put Cooper Cup at number one going into next season. Devontae at number two. I've never conceded Devontae not being the number one receiver until this moment. And that's mainly because he's not going to have Aaron Rodgers, the, one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time, the best quarterback in the league right now, throwing you the football. And Derek Carr, who, depending on the season, is like a mid-tier, middle-of-the-pack, maybe top-15 QB. I know, you know, I, I've heard you say things about him that are maybe he's not that great. Peyton, I know, who's not with us today, doesn't really like him that much. But, yeah, I'd go Devontae at two and Cooper Cup at one. But, again, that's splitting hairs because they're both the most talented guys in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought, and I still think that that Adams is probably the truly most all-around best uh, receiver in the league. I just think more than anything, and I do think that the Rodgers, the car switch is definitely a factor. I just don't think it's fair to Cup to, you know, look down in any way on the absolute historic season that he just had. I mean, he had one receiver in our lifetime. I think that that's enough to earn him the one it's a fresh season. Uh, he's going to be running back in the same offense with the same quarterback. So there's really no reason to believe that he can't do. Obviously, we won't do what he did again because probably no one will. But there's no reason to believe that he can't have another top one to two or three caliber type season as a receiver in this league who really, you know, it, it, it was just so special, everything that went on. No, 100%. 2,000 receiving yards. He was Offensive Player of the Year. Didn't even mention that. He led the league in catches. I think he had like 190-something catches. It was, I'm going to look up the stats like exactly right now just to see what he did. Yeah. It was, sorry, 191 targets, 145 catches, basically 1,950 receiving yards, and he put up 13.4 yards per catch in 16 touchdowns. The guy, the, the guy was a monster. No, no game was there that he didn't show up when it was mattered most. Literally, he caught two game-winning touchdown passes in the game in the Super Bowl against the Bengals. The first one was called back because of a holding. The second one gives a disgusting route to Eli Apple and wins the game for them after OBJ went down. He was a Super Bowl MVP for a reason, played the best in that game. 
Um, yeah, he's the best receiver going into next year, but I could very easily seeing it switch to a, you know, maybe an Adams if he plays well, or a Jamar, or a Jay Jets. You never know, just based on what happens next year. But, yeah, that I think all lists, honestly, we can kind of wrap it up. All of the lists got it mostly right. The quarterback list, the only thing we really disagreed upon was Deshaun Watson shouldn't be on the list right now, given all the stuff that's going on off the field. Um, running backs... We basically agreed again on everything. We had all the same people, I'm pretty sure. Uh, literally everybody on the list we all had. We agreed Saquon should be on the list. And even receivers. We knocked off all, We knocked off DK. We had all the same players. Just the orders was di- was different. A lot of flip-flopping going on at the you know spots we put them at. But, yeah, I think these lists were honestly good. They're going to be releasing some corners, some uh, safeties over the next few days. So on our next show, hopefully we'll get Peyton and some boys back. We can get into those lists. But, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. It's one of the great edition of the Cold Hard Truth. From this episode, it was Santino Mayoni and Jacob Jarrett signing off. Thank you guys so much for listening.